Well, in the Christmas movie, the Alf Will Ferrell's character has lived in the North Pole. He gets transported to New York City. And I love it because he's in an uncomfortable, unfamiliar place, but he's full of joy. And meanwhile, in New York City, he's surrounded by people who are comfortable and secure, but they're totally lacking joy. And I want to ask you this holiday season, as we move from Thanksgiving toward Christmas, would you like to have a little bit of joy in your life? Uh, you know, yeah, maybe not Buddy the Elf Joy where it's, you know, naive and goofy, though that's okay if that's what you want. But don't we all want a little more joy in our lives? And here's the question we're asking today. How can you feel the joy when there's pain in your life? Or how can you feel the joy if there's just so much busyness that you're like, yeah, I'd love to feel the joy, but man, there's just so much going on. I know there's people in this room and people watching online where you'd love to feel the joy, but there's either an empty seat at the table or there's an empty place in your heart or there's an empty bank account. There's something that has stolen your joy, some legitimate pain or maybe some legitimate busyness that you just think, man, I'd love to feel the joy, but how do I feel it with the discomfort of either what's wrong or just so much going on? Well, we're going to answer this question from the Word of God. We're actually going to look at a story that maybe you've heard before, part of the Christmas story. In fact, it's one of the best-known verses in the Bible, but I'm going to do something that I don't think you've experienced before. We're going to look at this story from a totally different angle than you've probably ever heard it taught before. The story's in Luke chapter 2, and you've probably seen part of this story with little kids dressed up like shepherds, and a little girl pretending to be Mary, the mother of Jesus, and a little, little actor for Joseph, and you've got a little um, manger prop that's on the church stage, and the cutest part is the little kids in the sheep costumes, right? Bah. And one of the kids reads this story, and here's this part that, I mean, it's almost so familiar that we kind of don't see what we're going to look at today. She, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn or the hotel. Now, here's where I want to pause. You see, this manger, the real person, Mary, who really gave birth to this little boy named Jesus, it wasn't a church prop in a hotel room or in a clean hospital room. This manger was a feeding trough. It was a feeding trough that still had, you know, the bacteria of saliva from goats and camels and whatever other animals had fed out of this manger. And Mary's not just in some nice room where there happens to be a manger. She's in a barn, a rudimentary barn that was probably built up against the edge of a cliff. And she's not laying on a hospital bed as she gives birth. She's laying on straw and hay. She's not surrounded by medical doctors and nurses. She's surrounded by the stomping of the feet of animals. I mean, if you've been in a barn, you know that underneath that straw and hay, there's animal droppings in there. It's a filthy place. It's a dirty place. And here's this reality that we could so easily miss in the Christmas story. Mary is not comfortable right now. In fact, life is really not going the way that Mary had planned in this moment. Uh, any men in here, well, don't raise your hand if you think this, but let me tell you, if you're a man and you don't yet believe that women are the stronger species, then I know that you haven't yet witnessed childbirth. 
I witnessed childbirth with our firstborn son, and ever since I have known, women are the stronger species, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And I remember with our childbirth, uh, my wife Mel, we'd been reading online because it's very normal for a pregnant mom for those nine months. She's imagining what is that moment of birth going to be like? What's it going to be like? I mean, it's a once in a lifetime moment. And in our case, there were all these mommy bloggers out there. Mommy bloggers who would write about, you know what, if you just have the right music playing, if you have the right sense in the air, birth is just this beautiful, joyous experience. They were wrong. It is like a war zone. I remember Mel and I, we wrote up this birth plan on a Microsoft Word document. Of, you know, we wanted this soundtrack and these songs and these kind of smells in the room. And, and we marched into the hospital after we did our birthing classes. We went up to whatever the department is where you have babies is called. And we, we hand them this thing to the, the labor nurses. And we said, hey, here's our birth plan. We just want you to have this on file. So when we come in, you know what we'd expect. And they looked at us like, you have no idea what you're getting into. And they were correct. Birth is one of the most excruciating physical pains that a human can ever go through. And Mary goes through that excruciating pain in a city that she's never been to before. And she's surrounded by people she's never met before. And this is so different from how it played out in her mind. I mean, can you imagine for those nine months where Mary knew that she was pregnant with Messiah, she was going to give birth to the Savior of the world, and surely she imagined her relatives being there, it being in a room that she's familiar with. And now here she is, they've had to go to Bethlehem, it's like a foreign city to her. Everything is playing out different than she imagined. And here's the thing, if we take off our churchy hat and we just be real people, can we just acknowledge that if any of us was in this situation, you're in a foreign city, things are not going as planned, now you're giving birth in a barn, there's animals around, Mary would have every right to be kind of angry at Joseph, right? Wouldn't most of us be? Like, Joseph, come on, you couldn't even get a hotel room? I'm having a baby here. Right? Also, if we're honest, if we were in Mary's position... If we weren't mad at Joseph, we would probably be mad at God, right? Because in Mary's case, it's not like she's pregnant from sleeping around. Almighty God, you know, said, hey, I'm going to divinely impregnate you and you're going to have the savior of the world. And, and Mary, if it was me, I'd be feeling like, okay, God, I agreed to this whole being part of your plan to help the world, but why, why not in my hometown? Why not any anyone I know other than Joseph being around? Why in a barn with straw and hay and animals? I mean, God, I was all for your plan, but wouldn't many of us be angry at God if we were in this situation? At the very least, if Mary wasn't angry at Joseph or angry with God, she would have every right to, at the very least, be grumpy, right? She'd have every right to be. And yet, let's look at Mary and her disposition Keeping in mind, she's not like part God. Mary's just as human as the rest of us. And after she gives birth, then these weirdo shepherds show up. <laughs> right? These like dirty outside men who smell like sheep. 
And she's laying there having just given birth and here's this baby boy and they come and they say, hey, we heard that the Messiah, the Savior of the world is here. Can we come and worship? Now, it would not have been inappropriate boundaries for Mary to say, I'm glad you want to worship my baby. Give me two or three days to get myself cleaned up here and then you can come back and worship my baby. But instead, she invites them in, these weird people she's never seen before in this very uncomfortable setting that she didn't really imagine it playing out this way. And Luke tells us in verse 19 of this story that in that moment, as the shepherds are there worshiping her newborn baby, Mary treasured up all these things. What are all these things? Well, they're what Luke is describing in Luke chapter 2, that Jesus isn't just a baby. He's not even just a great teacher. That he's almighty God. That he came into the world because our world is broken by sin and by evil. That's why all of our bodies wear out and die. That's why our relationships get strained and broken. That's why we have sickness and disease and natural disaster. And that Jesus being born is God's plan to make himself a human who would feel our pain, who would ultimately go to a cross and die in our place so that every one of us who've been ripped away from God can be reconnected to God by believing in him. So in this moment, Mary, I mean, it's got to be itchy with the straw and the hay and her body is hurting and these weird people are around and there's so many negative things she could be focused on and instead she's treasuring up and she's pondering that, wow, even though I'm uncomfortable right now, God has started his plan to fix everything that's broken in my life and in the lives of my immediate family, and in the lives of my nation, and in all of the world. And she's treasuring what God is doing, even as she's uncomfortable. So here's the question. How can we ponder God's goodness and treasure the moments, right? She's treasuring this moment, even though her body's uncomfortable. How can we do that? Even as we ache, and we all do in different ways, physical, emotional, financial, relational, and as we hurt. I mean, if for you, Christmas is one of those times where it's just emotionally so difficult, or maybe it just is this year, there's ache, there's hurt, how can you, in the middle of that, ponder what God is doing and treasure it? Well, the short answer is this, our big idea today, our discomfort is never the end of the story with Jesus. If you've made Jesus part of your story, then the pain that you're going through is not a dead end, it's not a cul-de-sac, it's a billboard, you're passing by it. And it's real in the moment, and I'm not demeaning it, but your story never ends in pain if you've made Jesus part of your story. Now, by the way, if you're with us or if you're watching online and you haven't believed in Jesus... I want to encourage you that you can do that today. You don't have to read the whole Bible to start. You definitely don't have to be cleaned up and perfect. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I need your help in my life. Jesus, I I want you to help me. I've seen you help other people. I want you to help me. It's It's as simple as that. You start there and you just say, Jesus, help me. And the moment that you invite Jesus into your life, And the moment you say, Jesus, you know, me being in control of my life, it's not working out well. Would you be in control of my life? The moment you surrender to him in that way, he becomes not only part of your story, but he rewrites your story. 
And it doesn't mean like Mary that you will never have discomfort again because we're in a broken world. We all will have discomfort. But what it means is that discomfort is never the end for you. Discomfort is never your destination as a follower of Jesus. It's just part of the journey that you're passing through. I want to give you three ways to live this out today. Three ways that you can experience God's joy today and this month no matter what's going on in your life. No matter the circumstances. You might feel as uncomfortable as Mary felt. You can still experience the joy of God today and this holiday season. The first thing Mary did that we can do is to treasure. Remember that verse? She treasured up these things in her heart. What does that mean? It's kind of like to cherish. It's living in the moment in a sense, but it's more than just a self-help. I'm going to live in the moment and the glass is half full. There's a little bit of that, but it's I'm going to live in the moment and see that God is working right now. So even though the straw and the hay may be itching me, and I may be in a city I don't want to be in, and there's weirdo strange people surrounding me, I can still see that God is at work right now, and I'm going to fix my mind on that. It's almost like Christmas lights shining in the dark. There might even be more darkness than there are Christmas lights, but I'm going to focus on the light instead of the dark. I'm going to focus on the little things God's doing right now. And as you walk through this month of December, you can be praying. You can even pray it right now. God, would you open my eyes so that like Mary, I can treasure every present moment that God, you're at work right now. You're in this room right now. You're speaking to me right now. You brought me here right now. You're letting me watch this online. Right now, God, you're doing things. I've learned in life, you've probably seen this too, that you can have two people and they can be in the exact same situation, identical, And one person, even though it's a difficult situation, sees, oh, here's where God's working. Here's what's happening. The other person, all they see is the negative. And Mary models for us that no matter how negative the things are, we can be that that person over here who sees God at work. We can see him at work, even though some things are still uncomfortable. Even though some things aren't going the way we want them to go. When I think of discomfort, I think of my kiddos. Because it's not comfortable to lose a tooth. It's kind of normal and depending on our personality, when you were a kid, maybe it wasn't a big deal. Here's my middle child after she lost her two front teeth. And here's the thing, I'm not going to say which of my kids because I don't want to embarrass that child. But of my three kids, two of them losing teeth is no big deal. It's like, hey, it gets loose, go ahead dad, pull it out, no big deal. One of our children, it's really traumatic whenever that child loses a tooth. And I've talked with this child about it, and and essentially the way they feel is like, you know what, that tooth is part of me. And that tooth has always been part of me. And it's uncomfortable to lose something that's always been there. In fact, that child has said, when that tooth starts to get wiggly and starts to fall out, I feel like it's dying, which is not untrue. And so for that child, every time they lose a tooth, it's, it's traumatic, it's difficult. And I try to explain as an adult, hey, guess what? After that tooth comes out, I know it's uncomfortable, but a new tooth will come in behind it. And they can know that, but it's still hard during it. You know, our Heavenly Father looks down at us adults, and we're all really just big kids. And the reality is that as we grow older, we lose things that are more significant than teeth, don't we? 
we lose relationships that we thought would always be there. As our bodies age, we lose physical strength that we just assumed we'd always have. Sometimes we lose investments. Sometimes we're at a graveside and we've lost a person who we can't imagine living without. And the story of Christmas isn't that if you believe in Jesus, you'll never have loss again. It's that if you believe in Jesus, every time there's loss, you can know that there's a new thing growing in that God will replace, that he will restore. That we are headed to a place where there will be no death, there will be no tears, there will be no suffering, but even now as we wait for that, every time a tooth falls out, he grows in a new one behind it. And Mary, she treasures in the moment Instead of focusing on what's lost and what's not the way she wanted it to be, she focuses on the new life that God's bringing and the new things that he's doing. I love the way the angels put this in verse 10 of Luke chapter 2 when they're talking to the shepherds. They say, I bring you good news. That's the word where we get our word gospel. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it just means that, good news. And you know what the good news is? It's that Almighty God loves you. You were created by a master engineer, and he made every part of you physical, emotional, your spirit part of you. And until you're in relationship with him, you're always going to be a little bit out of place, and you're always going to feel a little discontent. And the good news is that Jesus came to connect you back to your creator. And the angels, as they declare to the shepherds that Jesus has been born, they've said, this is the good news. The Messiah is here. And it's good news of great joy. What does that mean? That means the moment you receive Jesus as your Savior, you receive joy. And it's a joy that doesn't depend on your circumstances. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul the Apostle, he will write about joy and he writes about it from a prison cell. You know, joy is so different from happiness. Happiness comes from the outside in. Joy is something that God gives you from the inside out. And joy is something that you can have even at the graveside even in an MRI tube, even during cancer treatment, where you know I'm still going through pain, I'm not laughing, I'm not happy, but I have this inner peace that the God who created the world is in the process of fixing everything that's broken. If you've never experienced this joy, call out to Jesus today. Say, Jesus, I want you to be my savior. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I need your joy in my life. And then the Angels use this verb that it will be for all people. Will be is a future verb. It's not a present verb. In other words, even as Mary is treasuring and realizing, wow, God is now fixing everything, her body is still aching. Her emotions may still be reeling. And it's very much like we've lost a tooth and it takes years, right? It takes years for an elementary child to lose every tooth and all the new ones to grow, and it's a process. And God's process of redeeming or restoring or repairing what's broken in our lives and in the world, it doesn't happen as fast as we'd like. I mean, if you're like me, you'd like it to be like every time you lose something, boom, new tooth just immediately grows in. But it is a process, and Mary seemed to understand the future tense of this. And that's the second thing she did. Not only did she treasure the present, 
but she pondered, that is, she kind of meditated or thought about how God is working all of this in his good plan. In other words, I can know wherever there's a little bit of pain in my life, not only can I look past the pain and see little glimmers of God right now, but with the eyes of faith, I can ponder and believe that God is going to work this for good. That relationship that is estranged or broken, I can give it to God and say, God, how are you going to heal that? I have faith that you're making all things new. I have faith that you have a plan, and so I'm going to ponder. I'm going to direct my thoughts to dwell on how you're continuing to work. Mary did this, and we can do this. Mary may have been surrounded by manure and goats, but she knew she would someday be surrounded by the people she loves and even by the gold of heaven. When I think of future hope, the reality is that it's a difficult thing to do practically, right? It's difficult to say, okay, I'm gonna, I know God's going to make everything better, so I'm going to dwell on that. I'm going to ponder that. I mean, what does that actually look like? I think one example of what that looks like is kids anticipating Christmas. I don't know how it is in your house, but my kids, they start to anticipate Christmas around mm, July, uh, this year, Amazon, I don't know if you guys got these catalogs, Amazon sent out a catalog like Sears and JCPenney used to do. One of my three kids has circled every single item in that catalog. So I had to, you know, set the expectations that that is not going to happen. Here's a picture of my kids on Christmas morning last year. My wife grew up doing this thing with her family where the kids would wait on the stairs on Christmas morning while the parents would do kind of the final touches on getting the music right and everything for the kids to come downstairs. And one of my kids let it slip this year that this is their favorite moment of Christmas. Even more so than opening the presents is sitting on the stairs. The anticipation is just so much. And here's the thing. If seven-year-olds can live six months in anticipation of one day or one moment, if they can even just do one month, then surely we as adults, if we really apply ourselves, we can start to live a little more pondering, wow, God, what's it going to be like when you fix that? I wonder how you're going to fix that. And instead of just feeling the scratchiness of what's not the way we want it to be, we say, God, give me eyes to see how you're working now and give me faith to ponder how you're going to continue working. You know, God cares about the present brokenness in your life. Scripture says that he's near to the brokenhearted. He upholds those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 23 says he restores your soul. If you're in a place where you're like, I, my soul is just torn down, he can restore your soul. He cares about what you're going through right now. But I've also realized in my life that he cares about deeper needs that I have that I'm not even aware of. Here's an example of that. I want you to imagine a guy who cuts his hand and so he runs into the emergency room and he says, you know, I need a doctor to sew up my hand. It's cut. And so they put him on an IV and they take his blood and all the normal stuff. And as they're testing his blood, they come back in and they say, hey, uh, we can fix your hand, but we were doing the blood test and it turns out you, you have cancer. Like you need to start cancer treatment tomorrow. I want you to imagine now that guy goes, oh, no, no, all I need is my hand sewn up. You know, just sew my hand up and I'll be on my way. I'm fine. I don't need anything else. 
And if we're honest, this is very often how we relate to God. We have our one present crisis, and God cares about that present crisis that you're in. I'm not demeaning it in any way. But he's a loving father and a great physician who sees things about you that you don't even see in yourself. And he says, bring me your cut hand. If you will be patient, if you will sit with me, I will heal that. But you also have deeper things. You might not realize it, but 10 years from now or 50 years from now, you're going to need eternal life. You don't realize it today, but I see that in you and I want to give that to you. You don't realize it, but you have relationships that are fractured. You have a whole trail, a whole junkyard of relationships because you do things that you don't even realize you do. You have blind spots, and I'd like to change that in you so that you can experience better relationship and be more fulfilled. And he says, bring me your present pain, but stick around so that I can minister deeply to parts of you that you don't even know need to be fixed. After the angels say this good news will bring great joy to all people, they say this is what it is, the Savior, the Messiah, that's our word Christ. That, by the way, is why followers of Jesus are called Christians, Christ followers, because Christ is the word for Messiah. In other words, Jesus wasn't just a good teacher or a man who did some miracles, he's Almighty God. He's the Savior of the world. He's the Lord, the one true God. In other words, he can fix us in bigger ways than we can even imagine. He has a dimension for us, an eternal life for us that is so much better than we can even imagine, and it's going to last for decades, and then for hundreds of years, and then for thousands of years, and it's going to keep going and going. And he says, yes, I want to get you through this broken world, but my plans for you are even so much bigger. You might put it like this, we settle for a savior who can heal the flu and give us a trip to Disney. (laughs) Meanwhile, our savior can heal death and carry us to immortal pleasures that go on and on and on. So there's nothing wrong with praying for healing from the flu, by the way. I know many of you have had that in your households and that's fine to pray for. It's fine to pray for a trip to Disney. No problem with that. God cares about this level of stuff. That's the cuts on our hand. But know that his plans for you are so much bigger. And when you're in present discomfort, you treasure the little ways he's working now and you ponder, God, I know you're going to fix this. But not only do you want to sew up my hand, you want to sew up my soul. You want to give me things I don't even realize I need. Mary experienced joy when many of us would have been complaining. And the way that she did this is that she was intentional with two things that every one of us have, our thoughts and our affections. Those two words that Mary pondered and that she treasured, they have to do with our thoughts and our affections. So Mary, you could have taken another person and put them in the exact same scenario as Mary, They give birth to Messiah, they're in the barn, but if their thoughts and affections were on other things, they would have been noticing the straw and the hay, and why are there goats in here, and Joseph, why couldn't you get a hotel room, and who are these strange men? The only difference is thoughts and affections. You realize your thoughts are the gateway to your heart. I think we live in a time where we kind of just let our thoughts run free, and we really let other people control our thoughts, whether we realize it or not. Things that we watch, 
things we look at on social media, they're not necessarily evil, but we don't even realize those things are controlling our thoughts instead of us. And one of the things I've learned is after you watch something or even after you've been on social media, pause to ask yourself, how do I feel? Do I feel more insecure? Do I feel afraid? Do I feel like, boy, all those people are living such a better life than me, so I really feel miserable? Then why would I keep putting those thoughts in my mind? But we do it, right? We go back to it. How do we do this? How can we be intentional with our thoughts and affections? So many positive things we can do. You're doing one of them right now. You're in the word of God. I mean, you're in the house of God and you're filling your mind with the word of God. You're doing it right now. So way to go. You're filling your thoughts. And right, aren't you feeling maybe a little more joy now than if you were in your room alone looking at everyone else's holidays on social media? Possibly, I am. Because what you put into your mind, it, it does affect your heart. So there's so many positive things you can do to be like Mary in this way. And, and one of them is this, being in the word of God. And it's not only when you're here, you can watch online, you can listen to podcasts of our messages and other great Bible-believing churches. You can listen to Christian audiobooks. You can, whatever genre of music you enjoy, you can find Christian artists in that genre who will play music that you enjoy listening to, but the words of it are setting your thoughts on God and how he's faithful and how he's at work. You can, of course, be reading the word of God yourself. If you don't yet have a Bible that you love to read, we'd love to give you a life application study Bible today. You can look up any topic in there. And I'd encourage you, even if you just start with a couple verses a day, start reading the word of God. It's your choice. But if you want to experience joy, be intentional with your thoughts. Because your thoughts will control your affections. I'll give you a silly example of this. You guys know I'm a car guy. Anytime I get into a new car, something that I really want, I start reading about it. Then I start looking on Craigslist. And then I find the forum for whatever make and model of that car is, typically a Toyota Land Cruiser of some kind. And I look at it in different colors and different years and different customizations. And guess what happens? After hours and hours of thinking about it, my affections grow around it. Just like a, the roots of a tree, sometimes they'll grow right around a fence post or something and they're attached, right? What you think about, your affections grow around that thing. And so we, if we want to have joy, choose to be intentional about what we're putting into our minds. It doesn't mean we don't do normal stuff. We still go see movies and listen to secular music. We live normal lives, but we're kind of monitoring and as a believer in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you to help you monitor. How'd that make me feel? Is that helping me trust God more or trust God less? And you're just kind of monitoring. It's not like a, these things are all wrong for everyone. These things are all right for everyone. You're monitoring. How, how did that make me feel? When I watch that particular news broadcast, does it leave me feeling like God's in control and we're going to win the day? Or does it leave me feeling like the world is falling apart? How does it make me feel? And if I continually fill my mind with things that steal my joy, then is it God's fault if I'm not experiencing joy or is it mine? I'm going to get off this really soon because I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to condemn. I'm trying to encourage. I want you to be joyful. God wants you to be joyful. I'm just camping on this a little bit because I know it in my own experience. If I'm not really intentional about what I put in my ears and my eyes into my mind, then I lose my joy. 
Uh, yesterday I was talking with a, a dear mom in our church. She's got a middle school student right now. And she was telling me about this middle school student kind of feeling insecure and, and on the very normal teenage journey that we all had or have. And she was talking to me about Instagram and kind of saying, you know, how much should she be on there? And I said, there's not like one answer, but here's something maybe you should know about me. I'm 30-something years old, and I'm going to say these next few things. Don't hear them as me bragging. I'm just trying to describe, here's who I am. I'm 37. I have a life purpose statement that I've got memorized. Every year I do goals, and I you know, can go back 10 years, and they're all checked off. I've written best-selling books. I've written for the New York Times. I'm pretty confident in who I am. But here's the reality of me. If I spend about 10 minutes on Instagram looking at how perfect everyone else's life is, I will feel incredibly insecure. And I'll start to think, oh, I'm not nearly as good as that other pastor. I'm not nearly as good of a dad as so-and-so. Oh man, they did that for their anniversary. I'm failing as a husband. That's me. You guys are probably all like way stronger inside than me, but that's me. And so I'm thinking, man, if I was 13 and that was what I was spending hours a day doing, I'd be a total wreck. And so I'm not saying, you know, I'm not like laying down some legalistic rule. But I want you to know, like if, if you watch certain things, not necessarily evil things, but they steal your joy, that that happens to me too. And the way out of it is to just be really intentional. So for me, for social media, it's like, ah, I use it to broadcast things out there, but I'm not really on there looking at other people's lives that much because of the way it affects me. So that's just an example. But here's the thing. You can be intentional more positively about what you do put in your mind. And one of the ways to do that is to gather yourself around other people who are celebrating what God's doing. And that's actually the third thing that Mary did to experience joy, even in her discomfort. She surrounded herself with people who are celebrating God's activity. You're doing that today. If you're in a small group, you do that when you gather with your small group. Another way to do this is to start serving here in some capacity. You get on a team with other followers of Jesus and you show up consistently and you're kind of fighting the battle together. You're serving together and you get to know other people. And here's what I know. When I start to lose the joy, if I'm around other people who have it, it rubs off on me. It's kind of contagious in a good way. And Mary modeled this in that moment I described when the shepherds show up, these like greasy, weird shepherd dudes. And she's like, hey, if you're here to worship the Messiah, then awesome. We don't have anything else in common. We're not from the same village. <laughs> we have nothing else in common but Jesus. But if we have that one thing in common, then let's get together and celebrate Jesus. And guess what? In a situation where she could have been angry and miserable, she has joy because she surrounds herself with others who are celebrating what God's doing. When I think of this kind of joy, I think of Mary Goss. Here's a picture of Mary. And I love Mary's story. If you ever see Mary around here at Connection Point, say hi to her. She'll probably give you a big hug. Mary's amazing. I, I love seeing her. She always encourages me. But the thing is, this Mary has a lot of pain and discomfort in her life that you wouldn't know when you see her smiling face. See, a number of years ago, Mary's adult son, he was shot and killed. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He was literally sitting on the front porch of his house when an evil person just literally walked up out of the blue, shot him and killed him. And Mary didn't know what to do, so she moved to Brownsburg to just kind of have a fresh start and new surroundings. 
Mary moved in next door to a Connection Point family. And this is what I love about Connection Point people. You love people. So those new neighbors, they didn't just say, oh, someone bought the house, good. They said, we should go get to know our new neighbor. And as they got to know Mary in a patient, proper way, they learned her story. And they saw that Mary was living by herself. And as the first Christmas in her new neighborhood rolled around, the dad of that family went over to Mary and said, hey, would you like me to hang some Christmas lights for you? You know, we'd love to just, if if you're up for it, hang some Christmas lights for you. And they did, and it started a relationship. And in time, they invited Mary to come to Connection Point and experience the joy and the life of Christ and what he does in a body of believers where none of us are perfect, but we're doing our best to love each other and to love God. And now it's been a couple years, and this is Mary's church home, and Mary has a joy that doesn't come from what has happened to her in life, but comes from who her faith is in this life and in the next life. And here's the thing this Christmas. God wants to use us just like he used Joseph and Mary to not only experience what he's doing in the world right now, but also to be part of it. He has a role for us to play in it. So I want to encourage you as We move through December, have moments where you pause and say, God, will you allow me to treasure this moment? God, will you help me to ponder like Mary what you're doing in the world and teach me to monitor my thoughts and my affections? Paul writes in Colossians 3, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your hearts on things above, not on earthly things. This is a a spiritual growth thing. It might not happen the first day you believe in Jesus, but if you ask God, it's like a spiritual muscle. If you ask him, give me eyes to see how you're working, he'll start to do it. You'll be in a room of people where in the past, you would have been in that room and you would have thought, what are they wearing? What do they think of me? What do they all look like? You're just looking at them at a human level. If you pray and say, God, give me your eyes, He'll start to lift up your your view and you'll start to see, oh God, you want me to help that person there? You want me to pray for that person? You'll start to see things you never saw before. It's baby steps, but start to ask for it. And as we do that, let's go out to our neighborhoods, let's go to our schools, let's go to our families and our workplaces looking for the Mary Gosses who haven't yet found a church home. They're out there in the cold, spiritually speaking. They don't have the joy that we are learning to treasure and enjoy. I'd love to pray that for you today, if you'd pray together with me. Father, Lord, my heart is with those in here who even the word joy just seems impossible because of what they're going through. God, would you help us to zoom out and see that that was true for Mary and Joseph. Joy was not the natural human response to what was happening to Mary's body and her life and her circumstances and her dreams. She wasn't just happy because things were good, but she treasured that you were at work even in her discomfort. She pondered that you were making all things new. So Lord, I just pray right now for everyone in here who's hurting or just buried in busyness, Will you give us eyes to see like Christmas lights in the darkness, the little things you're doing now? 
let us fix our minds on those things. Would you grow our affections to love you and what you're doing in this world? Would you make us like Mary that we would ponder how every lost tooth in this world will be replaced by you? If not in this life, in the next, and even in this life so often, you work all things together for good. Lord, give us eyes to see people like Mary Goss, a neighbor who is secretly hurting, who needs family and community. And would we be out there, Lord, being your presence, being part of the story like Mary and Joseph, inviting in those who need healing and help and joy this Christmas season. Help us now today to experience the joy that you desire for each of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.